0: The four commitments that uh, our church is going to all of us are going to be doing starting from now to august 2020 each one of us is going to be committed to pray to pray for those within our lives who do not know jesus as savior that were committed to train to be trained to, uh, to be able to share the gospel effectively that we're going to also be committing to invite at least one person to come and join us successfully invite one person to come and join us in worship and finally we're going to commit to walk towards others to share the gospel with at least one person that that's our goal And even this week, we've begun implementing kind of the second aspect, which is the training. We had our evangelism training life Bible class just started. So if you didn't join, next week, or actually next week is our uh, our prayer time. But the week after that at 9.30, Sunday's room. Uh, Room 16, this is our hands-on kind of practical theological training. We're going to have lots of tools, encouragement, and a lot of different people from the congregation, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have experience or testimonies or stories to share. About the gospel, and so I hope that, uh, that everyone will take the opportunity to attend. This is a, a good way of fulfilling our commitment to God. So, now this morning we're going to be looking at uh, continuing our series on Jesus loves from the book of Luke. We've been looking at different people that Jesus loved and valued during his time on earth, and the gospels actually present a, a really intimate and full collection of Jesus' personal interactions, of the stories that he told, and they give us a, a picture of those whom jesus loved and today we're going to be looking at the fifth category and that is jesus loves the poor and we're going to be looking at jesus parable of the rich man and lazarus and that's found in luke chapter 16 so i'd like you to turn with me to luke chapter 16 verse 19 luke chapter 16 verse 19 In a reverence for god's word shall we stand together And this is reading from God's word from Luke chapter 16. It says, And there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you in anguish. And besides in all this between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to there that you may not be able. And none may cross from there to here to us. And then he said I beg you father to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he Lazarus may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone comes to them from, goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see that God is a just God, and everything works to that end, to God's justice. Now from this passage, it actually breaks up, this, this parable breaks up into kind of three very uh, neat parts, kind of uh, very uh, distinct parts. The first uh, verses, verses 19 through 21, we see uh, the present life, sort of life on earth. And then, In verses 22 to 23, we see the afterlife, life after death. And then in verse 24 through 31, we see a sobering warning that that we hear the lesson. Jesus gives the lesson or the main idea of the parable. And so we want to look at the first section. So what do we look at when we see or what do we understand from the present life? And what we're going to see is that earthly circumstances um, do not always, they're not always a reliable indicator of the will of god meaning when we look at earthly circumstances around us those don't just because it's good or bad or whatever that doesn't really tell us a lot about really what god is necessarily doing uh, in their lives and so we look at these two individuals first of all there's a rich man who's clothed in purple fine linen who feasts sumptuously every day okay so this is in this world this rich man. Now, this rich man, his riches are described in two ways: his dress and his eating habits. First of all, it says he was dressed in purple and in fine linen. Purple is the color of royalty, and so that means that this guy he lived like a king. Fine linen uh, is. He says that his his uh, his undergarment uh, is usually uh, the the undergarment is made of fine linen, and so this is like his underwear is made of the finest quality. So basically inside and out, the outside and even the clothes that you don't see on the outside um, is, is made of the best quality. And then it says that he feasted sumptuously every day. This gives the idea of extravagance and excess. You know, when we think of feasting, it's this picture of Thanksgiving, right? And when we feast, Like, you look at Thanksgiving, you say, wow, we had, you know, for us, for Thanksgiving, we had turkey, we had uh, pork, we had uh, mashed potatoes. We had, like, long table, all full of stuff. And that's a feast. So this man, this says he feasted every single day. Can you imagine, like, every single day? Like, when you come home from work or when you had a bad day at work, your table's laid out like Thanksgiving. That's basically this guy. This guy... Every day was Thanksgiving for him in terms of food, and he obviously couldn't eat it all. And so this parable, of course, is an extreme, but Jesus is kind of introducing this first character as a rich man, someone who has everything that anyone could ask for from a material standpoint, anything. He has the most advantageous position, he's the most comfortable, the most luxurious life that can be afforded in this world. That's this rich man. Now, in contrast to that, Jesus now introduces this poor man. Now, it's interesting to note that um, this poor man, they give his name, Lazarus. This is the only situation in all of Jesus' parables where one of the characters is actually named. And his name is Lazarus. And his name is significant because Lazarus means loved by God. But when you think of his name, loved by God, and you read his situation in terms of this world, you would think that this is kind of a cruel irony that he's named loved by God. Because we look at his situation in verse 20. It says, And at his gate, meaning the rich man's gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Wherever even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now it says he was laid. Um, it was laid outside the gate. Now this actually... In the Greek, it's not really laid out like when we lay something on our bed, you know, it's like we lay it gently and nicely, you lay it out there. But this actually the word is not laid, it's like cast. Like cast out. Like this person, Lazarus, was cast by the side of the gate. It's like garbage. When you cast out garbage, you don't take the garbage out, put it in the garbage can and lay it out nicely on the garbage can. You you open the thing and just dump it in there. That's garbage, right? And that's that's kind of what, what Lazarus is like. He's saying he was like cast out of the gate like trash. And um, he's not only poor, but physically he's covered with sores. Literally, these are ulcers. He's hungry. Like he would, just, he would just love to have even the crumbs, you know, the things that like when we eat, oh, and we just you know, brush it off the table, like, ah, oh, dirty. He would just long to, he's so hungry that he would long to just eat those crumbs on the table. And then it says that the dogs came and licked his sores. Now this is not, oh, nice puppy, you know, you know kind of uh, helping Lazarus to feel better. No, these are scavengers. Uh, they're dirty. Uh, in these days, they're just think of like these, these, these kind of uh, full of germs and everything, and they're licking his open wounds. And so it just adds to this humiliation of Lazarus. And so in this parable, Jesus is really trying to set these just really extreme cases of a person who has everything, even to his underwear, of the best that life can offer, and a person who has not just poor, but like the worst of everything possible that anyone could experience, that's Lazarus. And so this is um, the parable that Jesus talks about. And I just want to make sure that we realize that this um, parable is not, you know, uh, anti-rich, okay? It's not Jesus gets woke, you know, that's not this parable. Jesus is not saying that every rich person is going to suffer in eternity, and every poor person is going to be blessed in eternity. That's not what he's talking about. What this, this parable is stating is that God is just. That earthly circumstances are not always a reliable indicator of the will of God, or of the favor of God. See, a lot of times we, we live by this, what I call the great misconception in regards to the spiritual life, this idea that, that worldly circumstances directly reflect God's current disposition towards us. It's the idea that, well, if I'm going through hard times, if, if something bad is happening from a circumstantial part you know, aspect of my life, uh, or if some random misfortune happens uh, in my life, then we say, well, it must be God saying that I've done something wrong. It must be an indication that God's not happy with me. Uh, I must have made God mad. Uh, that's a misconception. Conversely, we may say, well, if everything is going well, you know, things are falling into place and a lot of things are just happening for me, oh, it must be because I'm good with God, that, 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 that God um, uh, loves me. And, and that can actually lead to spiritual complacency, even spiritual pride. Because, see, if, if it was true that physical circumstances determined God's disposition uh, towards us, then Jesus and his disciples um, were not very pleasing to God, right? Because they all suffered and they all died. Uh, pretty gruesome deaths. And so we think about it and say, well, okay, so circumstances don't always tell us uh, about how God feels about us. But now we think about this and say, well, but how do we interpret our circumstances? Because does God actually use circumstances? Um, Yes, he does, actually. Uh, He is a sovereign God. We know that from God's word that everything that happens is under God's care, under his control. Matthew uh, says that every hair on our head is numbered. And so how do we interpret our circumstances? How do we think about all these things? Well, I would say that circumstances are secondary to God's word. And so Galatians chapter 5, for example, if we turn to Galatians chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but basically Galatians chapter 5 talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of the like. I warn warn you, just as I warned you before, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he actually lists out a whole bunch of things that he says are not good. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, uh, gentleness, and self-control. And so he, Paul actually lists out saying, these are bad things, these are good things. And so what I would say is that when things are not going well, and when, when misfortunes happen, when everything seems to be going okay, and then all of a sudden this, something goes bad, and you're like, oh, what's God trying to say? What we need to do is instead of second-guessing ourselves and saying, is God punishing me for something? It's just use this as a time of reflection and say, God, is there any impurity in my thoughts right now? Is there any jealousy? or anger, or selfishness, or idolatry that you're trying to make me aware of? And if so, then we, we, we pray. If we say, hmm, let me think, you know, God, am I walking in peace and joy, love, goodness, faithfulness? And if so, then we say, well, then these struggles are not God punishing me. These struggles are are God just, just calling me to continue to walk uh, faithfully in Him. See, the Holy Spirit will convict us when we have struggles and we have difficulties. Don't just assume immediately that I've done something wrong. Take that as an opportunity just to reflect and say... God how am i you know let me think about you know galatians chapter 5 and think about these things and and think about you know god are 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 there things in my life that i that, that you're trying to get my attention for and and god you're not punishing me but you're calling me so that i can uh, uh, that i can confess to you and repent and, and, and clean these things away which is good and and if we say oh but god you know i'm thinking i do have peace i can't think of anything that i've done you know seriously wrong i feel like i'm walking in faith listen we say God then you're just continuing to remind me uh, not to get too comfortable not to get proud but to continue to follow you in faithfulness and that's really you know what 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 we think of when we think of the circumstances around us don't let circumstances dictate how you think God feels about you let the word of God speak to your hearts as you look at your circumstances and so we go back to this parable the rich man he's not condemned for being rich okay he's not doesn't say he's you know he was condemned for being rich he was condemned for a lack of the fruit of repentance because we see when he later on we see in the parable that he actually knows Lazarus he sees Lazarus so he knows Lazarus. He's seen him. The guy's lying at his gate. And so he had many opportunities to help Lazarus. And yet he continues this rich man for the entirety of his life to spend everything on himself, even down to his undergarments. his actions, they show no fear of God, no recognition of God's goodness, no recognition of his love. His actions show a complete rejection of God. That's why he's condemned. Lazarus, it's not because he's poor that he went to heaven. In fact, we don't know anything about Lazarus except that his name means loved by God. So for whatever reason, he's loved by God, perhaps you know, he knows God, but it's not, again, automatically that every single person who's downtrodden is immediately you know, special in God's heart and everyone who's rich is immediately not special. Um, there's this, this just a sense that that God really looks at the heart, looks at the person, and so going on in verse 22, we see that uh, it says the poor man died, Lazarus died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died also and was buried. Now it's important to note that um, both of them died. Now this is obvious, but it needs to be emphasized. In this world we can be so rich or dirt poor but in the end we're all going to die we we can like we talked about it last week we can have all the stuff everything we want and and we can have every advantage in this world but technically in eternity it doesn't make any difference we don't we're not any different than someone who has none of those things because eventually all of us um, die. And Lazarus, it's interesting here though, there is a distinction a little bit. It says Lazarus the poor man died. It doesn't say he was buried. It means he probably just died and was left among the refuse, Died like a piece of garbage. Whereas the rich man says, Jesus actually makes the note, when the rich man died, he was buried. Meaning that he was given the honor of, of a proper burial. Now this is really interesting because what you have is you have this contrast between this life and the afterlife. So for example let's say uh, if you drew a line uh, right here like where this podium is and drew a line like this and you say okay here is um, life on earth Okay, and we live our 50, 60, 70 years life on earth, and we eat and we get dressed and we do our thing and we play on our computer and we play our games and we do all sorts of things. And we, we enjoy our life and things like that. And then we die and we cross through this line and we pass over here. And now it's the afterlife. Okay? So now what God is, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, okay, here's the line that's crossed. You had Lazarus and the rich man, and he described what they were like during lifetime. Rich man getting dressed, eating feasts every day. Lazarus soars all over his body. Dogs licking, lying like trash. Then they cross the line. And the rich man, before he gets to this side, he gets this nice burial. He gets to be honored for his wealth. Probably get the <coughs> richest funeral that he could ever have. But Lazarus, when he crosses over to, when they go to eternity now, now they're on the eternity side, it says, Lazarus was carried by angels to Abraham's side. That's a beautiful picture. Someone who on earth died, nobody cared. Nobody buried him. Nobody remembered him. Nobody loved him. But, When he went to heaven, the angels, he didn't have to walk anywhere, the angels carried him like a procession into the very presence of not just an angel or a a really famous person, but Abraham himself, the father of Israel that Lazarus got to to go into um, this presence. And so we see here this sense that that God is a a just God. And here's that picture again of, of worldly circumstances do not give an accurate picture of God's disposition towards us because we look at the world and we say, oh, this rich man, he's got to have all the honor, he's got all the good stuff, he's blessed. God must love him. And poor Lazarus, I mean, he's so poor, he got nothing. Nobody remembers him. Nobody, even when he died, nothing happened to him. God must, you know, not care about him. And we look at that and go, that's from our eyes what we see. And we say, that's, and we think that way too, because that's where we live. And, God, and Jesus saying, well, no, but don't even think about those circumstances anymore. Heaven, you're going to see Lazarus Angels carrying him. I I just picture him in like you know in those Chinese things where they carry them on the and they're sitting on the chair, you know, and all those angels and angels that are carrying him like this, and 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 Lazarus sitting there on this 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 nice, comfortable, you know, throne, and they're carrying him up to the presence of of Abraham. And say, that's what God thinks of Lazarus. That's really how much God loves Lazarus. And Lazarus in eternity is going to enjoy this, this beautiful, uh, blessed um, uh, condition uh, for, the, for, for eternity. And, and so that's really the picture of how God uh, feels about Lazarus. And then we'll see later on uh, how um, the rich man actually, his condition is. And so we have this present life, and we see that the, that, that the present life is not an indication of God's disposition. So let's now look at the afterlife. And... Um, and so we, we think about the afterlife. And the question when we think about the afterlife is, is there really a hell? And the reason why I, ask, I say this is because um, you know, we think about this and say, is there really a hell? Well, according to Jesus, yes, there is a hell. According to all the teachings of Scripture, even the majorities of all the religions, there is a hell. And in Luke, uh, Jesus, in this particular passage here, Jesus actually gives one of the most detailed descriptions of hell in all of Scripture. I mean, there's not that much. I mean, they, they mention hell a lot. There's lots of pictures and hints about what hell is like. But this is the most detailed kind of picture of what hell is really like. And it's pretty frightening. Now, you may say and some may say that, well, this is a parable. So throw some shade on whether this really is, you know, what hell is like. Was Jesus really talking about hell? But, you know, actually, if you examine Jesus' parables, all, all the parables in the Gospels, um, every one of them is taken from real life situations. He doesn't say, imagine this fantasy land where unicorns are running. He doesn't say that. He says, you know, you go to the vineyard and look at grapes. That's a real place. Uh, you know, uh, a farmer was, was planting a field. That's a real place. He's describing real places. So when he talks about uh, uh, the, the, the afterlife, it's, it's reasonable to assume that most likely He's talking about, again, a real place. And so he begins to describe what this afterlife is like. And he says, um, and in Hades, in hell, on Sheol, Being in torment, he, meaning the rich man, lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. Now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides, in all of this, between us and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here, uh, from here to you, may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And So Jesus calls this place; um, he calls it, um, sorry, uh, he calls it Hades. Hades. Hades actually is Sheol. Technically, it's not like the final, final hell. Uh, hades is hades is actually the waiting room for hell um, and basically it's uh, the wicked go to hades and they await god's final judgment when jesus comes when jesus comes there's the final judgment but in the meantime and it says that when jesus comes the dead in christ will rise first or uh, he's, all the people are going to be brought before the the throne uh the the great white throne and they're going to be judged And so where are these people before Jesus comes? Well, they're in Hades. And so uh, this is where this rich man is. He's in Hades waiting for the judgment of God. Now, uh, what do we learn about Hades from this um, particular uh, passage? First of all, it says he's in torment. Torment means basically very extreme emotional and physical suffering second it says that he can see um abraham and lazarus um he can see them meaning that he's fully conscious okay when we're when when it's the afterlife it's not like we're just gone and we don't know anything he's fully conscious he's still the rich man and he can he can uh Feel the suffering. He can feel the loneliness, the hopelessness. He can see Abraham and Lazarus and know what he is missing. And he even cries out, says, Lazarus, can Lazarus just dip his finger in cool water to cool my tongue? So it's a really terrible, terrible place. And the worst of all, it's inescapable. It says, a great chasm has been fixed. The word "fixed" here means it was established by God, meaning there is no way. God has made sure that no one is going to go from heaven to hell, and no one's going to go from hell to heaven or to Hades to paradise or from paradise to Hades. It's it's fixed. There's a chasm. There's nothing you can do. So we look at this. Um, we look at this, and um, it's 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 horrifying in terms of Hades and Hades, and what happens to those who do not know Jesus as Savior. And uh, then he says, for um, the poor man, he says, uh, for Lazarus, it says, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. And I thought this was kind of a neat, like a little obsor- observation. This is paradise. Okay, it's not the new heaven and new earth yet. It's just paradise. And uh, again, that's a waiting room for when Jesus comes and he's going to take us to the new heaven and new earth. And the highlight of paradise it's interesting. It's in terms of relationship. It's in terms of closeness, uh, security, peace, comfort. It doesn't speak about, um, you know, uh, like a place where there's, you know, all the pleasures and riches and things like that, which there probably is in heaven. But it really is talking about relationship as being the reward of heaven and and the real joy. Of, of what it means to have eternal life. And so we see heaven and hell are real places, and this kind of brings us to this final point. I mean, if this is the waiting room, you know, how horrible or how great, you know, the final destination might be. And he says, the rich man says, I beg you, Father, to send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. And this is the idea that, you know, how does one... When we think about heaven, we think about the afterlife, what should we do? Um, and this is a natural response. This, the, he says, you know, now that I know what this is like, uh, I want everyone to know uh, that they, they need to escape this. And, you know, I was looking, <laughs> my greatest fear, just so, you know, uh, so don't tell anybody this because, you know, if they do this to me, I'd be like terrified my greatest fear is like being buried alive. I mean, for some reason, no, I've never had that happen to me, but I watch TV. (laughs) And that's like my greatest, for some reason, it's like my fear that I'll be buried alive. and It was so funny because I was watching YouTube just yesterday and it just happened, it popped up, I don't know, maybe uh, Google knows my fears or whatever or YouTube knows my fears, so it popped up this idea of how to escape when you're buried alive and YouTube, so I pressed it and I was watching it, oh, you know, here's the animated version of how to escape from a coffin when you're buried alive and they talked about find the, the weakest point in the coffin and, and hit it, not with your fist but with your, hand, with your knees and then cover your face with your clothing so you can breathe and then break a little hole and then let the dirt, and then it was really elaborate. And it says, then, then swim out as fast as you can and you can escape from being buried alive. And I thought, okay, so if I'm buried alive, I still hope, you know. But I mean, <laughs> that was always my fear, like being scared of, like, what if somebody kidnapped me and buried me alive and then I was there for the rest of my life. Whatever. But then I was reading the, I was watching the YouTube and they said, well, you won't be there for the rest of your life because you'll probably die of suffocation or or hypothermia. So you won't actually live in that thing for like years and years and years. You'll probably die after, you know, a couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, that's good. I don't want to be buried alive like for, the thought of being in a box in the dark and forgotten for like 30 years, it terrifies me. I mean, it does. It terrifies me. When I think about it, I just imagine the thought of being buried in a place for 30 years in darkness alone is terrifying. And so we think about hell. And we think about those people who are destined for hell. How terrifying that would be not just for 30 years or however long for eternity even 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 this rich man who has no compassion whatsoever like absolutely no compassion whatsoever he he says please God can I go and and tell my brothers so that they won't have to endure what I'm enduring right now. That's how horrible um, hell is. And so we, when we walk day to day, and, and there are people that we might get, get along with, and there are people that we might even hate, and we might say, well, I want justice. I, I'm, I'll wait for, you know, I can't wait till someday when they get their justice. But if hell is the justice, we don't want that for people. No matter how much, how no matter how how much a person has hurt us, how much injustice that a person has done to us, uh, or how much lack of compassion we may have for whatever individual, and we say, well, they don't deserve it. But to think about the fact that they would go to hell without Jesus, there's no way we could not have compassion for those individuals. I mean, when Jesus was on the cross and, and they were crucifying him, nailing him to the cross and spitting on him and, and ridiculing him and, and making fun of him and, 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 and deriding him, and he said, you know, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And that was his heart. Why? Because he knows what will happen to them. And we think about it and say, well, you know, wow, wow. I wish I could have Jesus' compassion that when people hurt me that I could say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them because they're passing lies about me that's ruining my life, but Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them because they're literally stealing from me. They're taking advantage of my weaknesses and they're taking things from me that, that they don't deserve. Or, Father, they're doing this, they're doing that. And, and we think about this and it, 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 it gets our hearts all like upset and angry and frustrated these people but then, then the, the, the pictures of heaven and hell come to our, our minds and we say but father forgive them forgive them for they don't know what they're doing they don't know what their actions are going to lead towards and, and 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 so so this this is this is something that really should move us in a sense of, of of this idea that 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 we must have the compassion of Jesus Christ as we think about the gospel as we think about what drives us to to share the gospel. It's not the mission of the church. It's not oh the class uh, or the the commitment that I need to make and I need to fulfill that commitment. Those are just things that help us remind us of of naturally. Uh, This guy, he was not even a a believer, and he was begging to say, can you please go and share with my brothers so that they will not Come to this place for us as believers now. When we know and we see this, and we know that Earth and and the conditions of Earth have nothing to do with God's disposition. As a, this is really what life is like, and we look at the world and say, "Wow, these people got so much stuff. Uh, oh, they're so mean. They're so hurtful. You know, all this kind of stuff. Blah blah blah." And, but we think about it. But on heaven's side, the terror and the horror. And we come and we say, now when we come back to this side in whatever whatever years and whatever situation God gives to us, my heart is breaking. For those who do not know Jesus Christ, even if they hurt even if they hurt us, even if they lie to us, even if they treat us like Lazarus was treated. Our heart breaks for the rich man, for the ones who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, because we know um, what is coming. And we don't want anyone, we don't want anyone to experience that. The second thing we see from this passage is this idea that um, uh, God says it's, uh, you know, Abraham says it's it's. The, 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 uh, the chasm is unpassable uh, there's a sense that we have only in this lifetime to, to make this decision of where we're going to be in the future when we're in heaven it's too late you can't make the decision then that, that we say well it's not fair but I mean that's, that's the rules God, God set up heaven God set up hell God set up the rules technically we all deserve to go to hell For the things that we have done, the lies and the cheating and the disobedience, the rebellion, the hatred, all the things that that we and our world, that we are a part of, have done. And, And God says, but I give grace, I give this decision, this opportunity for anyone to make that decision now so that in in the future in heaven in 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 the afterlife we can make that decision to receive jesus christ as savior to escape this eternal this eternal damnation so we ask the question you know how do i go to heaven um god is really saying hey we need to make if you have not made the decision now you gotta make the decision now because you don't have that chance you don't say well i'll wait till things turn up in the future and I'll decide whether I'm going to be a Christian or a Buddhist or an atheist or whatever, things like that. You know, it'll turn out in the end. No, no. You have to make the decision now for your future. If you have not made the decision to receive Jesus as Savior, if you've not contemplated this or even struggled with this, now is the time to struggle with this because you don't know how long you have to make that decision. And once the time is over, God makes it real clear the time is over. Third thing we see about salvation is that um, salvation is a matter of the heart. The rich man said, you know I beg you, father, you know let me let me go and and, 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 and send me to my father's house, let them know and and, and, and um, Moses says, you know if they um, he says if they they've heard if they do not." Here, Moses and the prophets, mean they don't heed what they've already heard on earth, then even if someone would rise from the dead, it won't make a difference. Even if I let you go back, you know, you rise from the dead, you go back and tell your brothers, if they're not going to believe because of all the things that I've shown them on earth, then even if you go back, they're not going to believe. Now, this is kind of this is kind of, I don't know, if it sounds discouraging, but at the same time, I, I think it's also encouraging. Because a lot of times, as believers, we often think that we need to do something to save people. That if I could do a miracle... If I could prove beyond a doubt that Jesus' words are irrefutable, then no one could possibly reject God's offer and everyone will go to heaven. If I could just find that one thing to do that. But history proves us wrong. I mean, not long after this parable, Mary and Martha, their brother, whose name was Lazarus, by the way, he died and was buried. And and Jesus raised him from the dead. Everyone knew Lazarus was dead. Okay, they said his body stinks. That's what it says stinketh in the Greek. Well, actually, his body stinks. It was, it was already rotting. And, they, and, 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 and Lazarus was raised from the dead. People saw his body raised from the dead. They took his bandages off. He was walking around. They could go to Mary Martha's house and see him. And so there's living proof of someone rising from the dead, that Jesus raised him from the dead. And what did the Pharisees do? They said, oh, we've got to kill Jesus now. Oh, we've got to kill Lazarus. They even admit that, Jesus, that Lazarus rose from the dead. They didn't say, oh, it's a joke. They said, no, Lazarus rose from the dead, but we got to kill him now. And so see, a hardened heart, even, even raising someone from the dead is not going to change it. And this reminds us that salvation is just... Is a work of God. It, we we cannot convince somebody to receive Jesus. We cannot, and this is good because when we have our class. You know, we're not giving a class so that everybody can be successful and share the gospel. That that's not what this is. Because we can't convince people to ra- to, to to receive Jesus, as Savior. We even if we produce, sometimes we say, oh, you know, if I can only have Jesus like produced right next to me. Then they believe Jesus. Now the Pharisees had Jesus with them for three years. And a, most of the majority of the nation had Jesus for three years. The majority of the nation of Israel rejected him. I've seen people hear the gospel over and over again. I've answered every single question they could possibly ask. I look at their life situation and say, you know, this person has every reason to receive Jesus as Savior. And yet they will refuse. And I've seen people who are total strangers who I don't know at all. And all I did was share the gospel with them. And they would break down in tears and weep and, and pray and receive Jesus as Savior on a busy Dallas sidewalk waiting for the bus. I can't explain. The only explanation is that God is the one who saves. And we just must be faithful to share this gospel with everyone. And as we move forward this year and we think about our mission, don't think about, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. We're not saying lead someone to Christ. We're saying just share the gospel. The goal is not everyone lead someone to Christ because we can't, no matter what we do, we could have the best programs. We could have all the great stuff. We could have so much stuff and still never lead someone to Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the work of God. All we are called to do is to be faithful. To share. That if we admit, if they admit, believe that I agree that I'm a sinner, that I need God, if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead, and I choose to follow Him by faith, this very simple gospel, these simple truths, um, God can use that to, to literally save people from an eternity an unimaginable eternity of suffering and torment that's the mission before us let's go ahead Let as we prepare for the communion uh, let's go ahead and let's let's spend some time in quietness before the lord as we think about as we take communion we think about the blood and